thrilled to have you join me for part two of the Fit Professional One podcast. Today, we're going to be getting through the second part of our visit with Rob Lee. He's a world champion mountain biker and a coach to Olympians, professionals, and master's athletes all over the world. So with that, Rob gave me a little background. He's a full-time coach specializing in endurance and ultra-endurance cycle coaching for athletes at all levels offering coaching in mountain bike and road cyclists from all over the world. It's pretty cool that his current clients include an ex-Olympian, two world champions, and a bunch of prominent age groupers all kind of burning it up in their respective races. And I imagine that's kind of all over the world as well. His related performance uh, includes three years consulting for Drag to Zero, regional coach for British Cycling, and six years as a race team manager and head coach. He's originally known as an ultra endurance mountain biker and really was the benchmark for ultra athletes in the UK in the mid 2000s. His results include, wow, 139 race victories, a master's world title, and numerous ultra cycling records. He's also I think this is pretty cool, featured in really all the major cycling magazines, a couple of books, and even a film, and then also was inducted into the UK Mountain Bike Hall of Fame in 2013. He started being a coach, and his journey began in 1995, and he has the knowledge and experience that really comes with doing that job for just a long, long time, and I've experienced that personally. Full disclosure, Rob is my coach of about two years now, and that's really cool. And besides me, he's helped just a ton of athletes exceed their personal dreams and ambitions over the years. But he just doesn't coach athletes. He's also been kind of the coach's coach, bringing nine coaches in particular to prominence, as well as mentored them along the way. And as a result, has built just a really cool an effective coaching business. Rob's stories are just fabulous. In part one, if you remember, we talked about the absolute importance of consistency in getting adaptions that help our performance. We talked about what a level three athlete was briefly. We talked about focus. In part two, we really get into a deep dive on what the concept of mental toughness is. It is such a complex subject that I don't think we really get everywhere there is to go, but Rob takes us to maybe the most important part. And that includes the decision to actually get ready to embrace and endure horrible things. And in doing that, Rob will take us through a story of one of his 24-hour races where I believe he becomes national champion and he tells just a great story. So before I get to that, Rob was nice enough to share with me some words that he encapsulated the kind of end and just after one of these events. And I think it's a great kickoff to what we're going to cover today. So I'm going to try to do it justice. And I think it sets up what we want to talk about very nicely. The nightlight falls so fast that I miss it. It is as if the sun were stolen from the sky. Delirium consumes me and I struggle with my senses. I know where I am and what is happening. My brain receives messages, but the translation is scrambled. I catch the brief glimpse of the trail illuminated by a light, but it's gone again in the blink of an eye. Fatigued as I am, my body has passed beyond pain and slipped to the point of numbness. So dark, and yet I see the sun as it rises. It arcs through the sky 
at an unnatural speed. I feel hunger, exhaustion, the tracks of tears that have long since dried. My face is a mask. I'm so very hungry, so very parched, but nausea beyond measure, dark, confused by the smell now, familiar and yet somehow out of place with the surrounds. What surrounds? What measure? I focus on the smell, but still cannot grasp. Dust? Fiber? Mixed with a fiber scent of something sweet, like a memory that I can't quite hold down. I try. Numb? Why so numb? And that pressure on my nose, my chin, my forehead, like lying face down. I turn to my sense of taste in hope of finding a clue, but all I find is the same hideous nausea. Must think. I see Neil. That friendly smile as he shakes my hand. And then Mike, congratulations and a pat on the back. The sun is leaving. I look down at the beer in my hand and a mobile phone starts to ring. It's Rory. He calls to say well done, but his words drift away into the encroaching darkness. This darkness, I felt as though a light was switched off in the sky. Am I moving? I realize that I am not. I'm just numb, lying there numbless wherever, here, might happen to be. Have I finally met with my end, the disaster ever possible, the rightful answer to the folly of riding alone, off-road, all day and all night? I do not know. And my heart seeks clues and wants to know, needs to, yearns for the answers, the smell, soft and dusty. Return to the start, I too remember, setting off into the night onto the South Downs, the disbelief and tangle of hope that I can do something special on this solo ride, a leap of faith towards a wild dream and my commitment to something intangible, that inner strength we all have, but so rarely believe in enough to embrace. I remember the excitement of those early miles and the apprehension of all those miles still to go. I remember the sunrise over empty hills, reaching the turn, the clock, the gels, the lack of water, all those views, the endless repetition of climb after climb after climb, the intense heat of the day, the pain, the nausea, and that final sprint against dropping sun into this blood red sky. I remember that and the looks of amazement, the congratulations. All of it washes over me in a fine blend of images an emotion that cannot be separated, both vivid and yet ethereal to the point that it feels like it could only have been in a dream. Deep down, I believe they are real, that I am still alive, that I should have known where I am, that smell. Then darkness disappears and we are returned to the light once more. As fast as it was gone, it returns and I struggle to connect. A judder, jump, my mind in cartwheels and then the voice, that sweet and beautiful voice, it brings me back and I return to the room, face down on the living room carpet. That smells only as carpets do. Understanding and memory connect and become as one and everything floods back. It was real, not a dream. I am right. I am alive. And yesterday, I became the first to break the South Downs double record unsupported. Rewrite the rule book and history into the bargain. But to me, I'm still just a man, and I lay here face down on the floor, unable to even lift my own head. Maybe this is the difference between those who will and those who will not. Standing above, looking down, I am no legend to those eyes, and glory has no meaning. It is fleeting, and so is history. I'm just a man who has stepped over the line, and the result is clear to see. Incapacitated and broken, face down to the carpet. 
when I understand the feeling inside and it is something we cannot share. The South Downs double, ride it blindly and hope for the best, then ride back delirious with the record in the bag. And sign now, as all memories are to history books, and perhaps for some, the stuff of legends. But for me, it's just like this, a beautiful, delicious, captivating memory that sparkles just a little now and then in some distant depth of my heart, like treasure at the bottom of an uncharted sea. I think that captures just the enormity of the mind and the spirit and the body in making these decisions to go after something that's just so unbearable, and yet you have to have the courage to get through. Let's listen to the rest of Rob's stories. You're really going to like this. Thanks for joining us. curious thing for me last year was I had in my head that I wanted to do a 24 hour again and I haven't done one I think I I started the national champs in 2010 maybe or 2011 but I wasn't really I shouldn't have really gone like I wasn't fit for it I wasn't I just went I I'd agreed to do it and I I'd agreed to make an appearance more than anything for sponsors I wasn't really, didn't have my head in the right place. And I did like 12 hours or 11 hours. It was a really predictable outcome. So the last time I really raced one well was in 2007. That was the last one I'd done before that was 2007. So really the last time. So I'm thinking like, you know, it's 2022. Do I really want to do this? <laughs> and the reason was because I knew absolutely what was going to be required. And that was a, that was a hundred to, to be successful and to complete it. And that was the only goal really was if I was going to go there, it was quite a long drive, other end of the country. I wanted to complete it. Like that was the goal was to complete it, but I didn't commit until two weeks before. And I got my head in the right place, which was, if you're going to go, you have to a hundred percent accept what this entails because you know, you're capable of doing it, but you don't, currently want to suffer that much and if you're not prepared to suffer that much we know what the outcome is yeah. so don't go <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and as soon as my mind was just like yeah i know what that entails i know how painful that is and i will commit for that for 24 hours i was 100 percent in and i went and i went through all the same things but when i make a deal with myself especially if it's only 24 hours long, I'm doing it. Unless, you know, if it, if I fall off and I break my pelvis, all right, that's something different. But if it's the normal run of things, which is 24 hours horrible, <laughs> I'm going to have stomach problems for half of it, probably, if not more, especially on the single, on single speed, my legs are not going to want to do it after about eight hours. My back's going to give out at some point. If I'm prepared to accept all those things and commit to do it, then I can go. No problems. I had experienced all those things. They're all horrible, but there's no problem involved because I've, I've, I know I can experience those things. I know they won't kill me. I know that I will recover from all of them eventually. It might be longer than I like it to be, especially nowadays. And so those two marry perfectly. 
And that for me is like where, where, you know, and that's really what resonated for me in the book is just like, if you get that right, completely right in your head and you get that completely right in your head, you just marry them up and you commit. Done. Yeah. You know? How about, so, how about in that moment, in that moment when your back goes or your legs go, or you're going to walk, is there a calmness? in your mind are how yeah, you... it's really really funny actually yeah. so now so there's a lot of panic involved with racing i think yeah you know especially longer races you have this you get this you're like everything's going good it's perfect i feel great oh it's not going great now i'm going to go backwards is someone catching me etc and you get all this panic and now so there was a point in this race we had we had the major electrical storms and so it's the first race, I've, first 24 hour race I've ever done where they stopped the race and said the course is going to be shut for several hours and then we're going to restart you. Now, the problem was it completely screwed up the timing. And so the timing, no one really knew if the timing was correct. And also, I haven't done one of these for 15 years, so I don't know who half the guys are. And my guy who's come to volunteer to look after me, he ain't been to one for 10 years. So we're kind of shooting in the dark and we're relying on the timing. And so there was a point where I was leading the vets 40 to 49 and I was leading the single speed. Now I'd gone there to finish and the top 10 was my stretch goal. So to be in the top three, I'm just like, I'm over the moon. Now in the past, that would have been a, a little start of the flicker for panicking for this because I've got a lot to lose now. There's a lot to lose here. I can be double national champion and go home and everyone's going to be, oh my God, how did he do that? That's amazing. That's like, if you're going to be good at something, you should have some sort of ego. You've got to have some or you're not going to, you're not going to endure that amount of pain. Mountain biking is not glamorous. Like 24 hour mountain biking is not glamorous in any way with shape or form. It's just like a few strangers in a field going, yeah, well done. Like, Neither you know, are the stage races. They're not glamorous. Yeah, there's no fanfare. There's nothing, you know, it's just like, so, you, you know, so I've got a lot to lose at that point. And in the past, that would have started the, this smoldering of fear and panic and so on. And then these get magnified by, I get onto the bottom of that climb and I'm like, literally, I don't think I can even pedal up this. Like, I'm halfway up and my back is screaming the entire way up to the point where, you know, I start working on strategies for, I know I'm going to need a bathroom stop. And I know that if I stop for a few minutes in the middle of this climb, I can ride both halves. So I have my bathroom stop in the middle of the climb. You know, so my brain's going like the puzzle, the puzzle, the puzzle, the puzzle. What do we need to solve this puzzle? All right, we know we need to stop somewhere. That's going to cost us time. We know that we'll ride both halves of this and negate the amount of time lost had we got off and walked. So it's connecting bits of the puzzle. But there was a point where, because they stopped the race, there was a young lad there in the single speed. A man, he was clearly fitter than me. He was clearly, he wasn't lighter than me, but he was, his power to weight would have been better because he was a taller lad and he was very lean. And he was clearly pushing a bigger gear than me, fairly comfortably, I think. You know, and so anytime I could pace myself back to him. So on the long, long climbs, I'd be just small, but you could see it kind of coming back. And then on the descents, we're kind of the same. And then we get on another climb and I gradually get back to him. He'd realize I was there and he'd just attack and be gone. 
he, and he could keep doing this. And it took me the first 10 hours to actually lead the single speed to the point where I thought, right, I've broken him. And this is really like in a, in 24 hour racing. I think I've only led one from the start. It's usually in my head. I'm like, all right, I know everyone's going to have problems and most people are going to, and then they're going to have panic and then it's going to be catastrophic because it's going to be magnified by how they feel now and mm. the fact they're leading, then they're going to do something wrong. So that's when I'll take the lead. So it took me, like, job's done, right? 10 hours, job's done. I just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to win. We have this big stop. Well, he's like 25 or something. He's going to recover a lot quicker. Like, he, he's there. He's like, I'm just like, I'm ruined. Like, I'm ruined. Like, I'm not going to gain anything from this stop. We're going to start again. And I just know he's going to start like a bull in a china shop. And he does. He starts like a bull in a china shop. And I'm just like, I don't see him for three laps. And we've got, we've, we can only fit six more in. So I don't really see him for three laps. And then if I can see him, he's a long way off. And each time I come around, my pit guys are like, he's a little bit ahead of you. And we know that he's eating into, because I was ahead of him going into the gap. We're trying to calculate what the gap is, you know. And in the past, that would have caused, I come around with three laps to go. There's, I can only get three more in, I know, in the time there. And my pit guy's like, do you want to know? And I'm like, I already know. I can't see him. He's not at the top of the climb anymore when I come into the bottom. Like He's pulled further away from you. And I'm like, so I leave there. I'm like, and we knew the gap now was a negative. So we've lost the jersey. And I'm just like, I came here to race and I came here to have fun and I came here to enjoy it. And if I go any harder, this ends bad. I might only do two laps. I might get cramped that I can't overcome. I might crash because I'm pushing it too hard. I just need to back off just a fraction and to just completely at peace with that decision. Because it's I'm there to do this. I'm not there because I have to beat him. Winning comes if you do everything right and then all the ducks align. But you can't handle, you can't, you know, Nino knows he goes to the World Cup in great shape. But so does Tom. <laughs> you know, like, the top guys, like, they, there's, there's five of them. Any of them could win. You know, they all go there. But it depends what happens to the others. So now it's, I'm there and I'm just like, that's fine. They come round, I, I can't see him on the next climb rounds there's this steep steep climb and every time it's steep with switchbacks and every time i'd been on that ride that section with him before he was riding and i'd have to get off part way up he's lighter he's stronger i come around the corner he's walking <laughs> oh game over son <laughs> yeah. but in the past i'd have never seen him walking because i'd have panicked i'd have ridden too hard i wouldn't mm. have been having fun I'd have done something wrong before he did, you know? So, yeah. and this is, this is it, part of his experience, part of it's the transition from being a, a type one athlete, a type two athlete to a type three athlete. But the real thing I think is that you, you've reached a point where you actually want to be there and you're actually happy with the outcome, whether it's first, second, third, win, lose, because you're actually doing it you're not placing the, the, the prize is doing this hard thing. It's doing something where you get this magnified learning experience. And that's what's brought me back from, you know, I was done. I was retired. 
Oh. It's the, the experience again that doing it a second time round has been unbelievably more enjoyable. Yeah, being at the back of the pack when I started and I was carrying loads of weight—that was awesome because I don't compare myself to me then. Like that's yeah. done. That was me. Where am I? Well, I'm a big fat bloke. <laughs> I like, yeah. I, I don't want to be, and I want to get all this fat off. But that starts with me accepting being where I am, being well over race weight, having poor cardiovascular fitness, having way less power than I had before. And I'm going to next race, I'm going to get to the next one a little bit fitter than I am now and a couple of kilos lighter. Duh, 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 duh. Oh. Uh, two years national champion. It's enjoyment, pleasure, the learning experience. And like, did we come back to this? It's become quite cliched now. Years and years ago, I suggested it and lots of people just looked at me like, what are you talking about? When I said, for me, it's about the journey. <laughs> like, if I win, that's great. If I come second and people are like, oh, no, you came third. And I'm just like, that's awesome. I'm on the podium. Like, <laughs> what's that's wrong so with cool. that? Like, I had the wickedest race. Just an expansion on that. So like, now I do. So I do these events where you ride point to point and you've just got checkpoints, but you don't see a lot of the other riders. You just know. And it's kind of like a gentleman's race. It's not official race. It's an event. But there's a few of us, we want to get back first. And that's what we're doing, you know. But why you don't know where you are. You don't know what position you are. And you you sometimes see someone else at a checkpoint. And these are kind of like 200 mile-ish, depending on which way you go to get to your checkpoints. What I always do is, as I'm coming into the, I've, I'm in the last three or four miles, in my head I'm like, regardless of position, did I enjoy this? Was it good? Was this an experience that has made some memories that I really enjoyed? Did I do some great racing? Did I overcome thinking this was horrible at times? Because they always are. Riding along a bike for a long time, you have to experience some sort of discomfort in some way, unless you're really pottering slowly and stopping all the time. If you're pushing yourself, you're going to get dehydrated or you're going to get hungry or you're going to forget something or you're going to have an accident or there's some sort of discomfort involved at some point. Despite all that, did I actually enjoy the discomfort? Did I embrace the discomfort? And uh, I decide at that point whether the event was successful. So now in racing, that's what how my brain is working in racing. But sure, I want to win. Who doesn't want to win? No. <laughs> but the no. win's not as important to me as, was it worth my time coming here? Did I experience the things that brought me to the sport in the first place? the things that I know will develop me and the things I know that push me forward emotionally, mentally, help me cope with life better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I find out where I came and I am not allowed to change my thought on how successful it is. Yeah. There's two things there. One is the power of kind of your purpose to overcome suffering and that are transferable, I think. And the other one, you're talking about the guy in front of you, how he would accelerate. And and then eventually you saw him walking on the climb. And one thing I know about biking is it is a lot of watts and energy to accelerate any time. You know, we talked about long versus short bike rides. One reason I like the long ones is because when you're kind of in that zone and you're pushing that line and you successfully use gravity rather than... <laughs> I mean, you've been working with me like crazy on that. 
I think angles and gravity, if you can extrapolate that into your real world are so important to use the momentum that you already have. And man, the bike is such a good reminder of that. It, I don't yeah. even think that's kind of a cliche. It's just, just a fact. So that's one is figure out how you can get more out of the momentum you have. And the other one is accelerations are costly in races for sure. They have to that's probably something that I'd, oh, that guy's half wheeling me. Oh, I better take him. Right? You yeah. know, what a dope. <laughs> I have to learn that. I think I'm much better at it in the professional world where whatever that acceleration is, they have to be with purpose and they have to be timed and they're not infinite. You don't have them. It's a great reminder. And I, I think endurance sports teaches that mountain biking is really good because I'm not a runner or a swimmer, but I can't even imagine accelerations in those sports. Right, and swimming. Yeah. So the power of the purpose, I mean, that's really cool. Am I getting that right? And what you've described is a big part of a level three athlete is the purpose. Like you talked about the one guy that had fun, you had fun and accomplishment and, and that kind of thing. So the transition yeah. is... It's it's really that transition that's taught between focusing on the process rather than the outcome. In business, you'll know, all right, you've got to, you'll have all these sort of bits of the process that you've got to, you've got to deliver on. You've got yep. to get whatever the product is there on time. You've got, the product's got to be correct. It's got to be at the right price. What allows that to happen where you've got to buy your raw materials from the right places at the right time. Supply's got to be set in motion so that things turn up. You don't want oversupply. You don't want cash flow problems. So it's all about process, 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 process. The outcome is we need to make money. So you, like lots of people focus on, I need to make money. If you focus on the processes and you get the processes correct, the money should follow. And that's exactly the same with racing. Yep. If you're worried about the outcome, then you might forget one of the processes. If your focus is to see it, but if you focus on the processes, you'll get the best outcome you can get. Now, someone else might be better at it. It's the same in business, isn't it? So, you know, you, yeah. two people have two fantastic ideas and they're both good, but, you know, Betamax or VHS, one wins, one loses. If Betamax had existed without VHS, it would have won because it was, it was a fantastic solution you know, a fantastic technology for that time. So it's all about process, really. People get just get so swamped in on the, I must do this and I must achieve this. I think like, it, it rings true for so many things though, doesn't it? It's just like, if you, for instance, so youngsters, when they want, people who are failing at finding a relationship, they want a romantic relationship. The outcome becomes so important to them that they don't focus on all the things that would act the process. I need to be a person who's interesting to other people. Yeah. I need to make good conversation. I need to actually think about this and maybe think, well, what type of person is the right person that I need to meet? And where might that person be? And what might that person be into? This is like, we get swamped in that. We're looking for love. And, I, you know, I've got friends who, who are looking for love. Dude, like, you're still acting like you did when we were, like, 15. It's just like, where's your, why is your brain not developed? Like, some sort of concept of, like, you know how to race a bike. You know how to be successful in business. How do you do that? You concentrate on the process. What is it that the woman of your dreams is going to be into? 
Like, what sort of man is he going to want? So are you prepared to be that type of man? That <laughs> it's process. Always yeah. process, isn't it? Like, and yeah. all these things are process. Bringing up children. It's, we focus often on the behavior of the child and that is it the behavior I want or is it the behavior I don't want rather than going, well, the child's behavior is a product of the environment, the upbringing, what we supply, our example we lead with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're all the processes. So yeah. it breaks down in the same way to everything, you know, so yeah, you know, like the crossover is just huge between Excellent. You know, there was a significant point coming off my experience last August where, you know, I did some overreaching and the emotional and mental development, I think were quite good. He talks briefly in there about how, and I don't want to equate that race with being a soldier in combat. You know, it was tough, but not like that, but how people come back and, and rather than like the stress disorder, they actually get a gain and they grow. I really believe that happened, but I needed some time. I know I'm not a level three athlete. I got to work on a lot of different things and pacing is something I got to get to, but I had a realization and I think it was a really good breakthrough where my heart rate, because I hadn't been training in whatever was higher and effort was higher, you know, at, at intervals and workouts that were just seemingly easy before. And I even did that. That one time where at the end of the kind of baseline, maybe zone two interval, I just cranked up for five minutes to see what my heart would do. <laughs> and I laughed so hard because you said, well, did it go up? Of course it went, <laughs> it went up, you know, and I like, well, I wanted to see how high. Hey, fast forward. What really happened when with some of the harder intervals is I was hitting that mini panic that you do just heart rate goes up and you're looking at the minutes left, it's a mini race, right? It's not like the race, but it's in a microcosm. And all of a sudden it kind of hit me is, I just got to dial back and just get there, focus on something, you know, focus on your stroke, uh, focus on something. And anyway, for that moment, all of a sudden, the tougher, longer intervals are just no longer emotionally taxing or or they're hard. They're hard as hell, but they, they're they very doable. They're very like, okay, I can go here. So it's that acceptance you're talking about in yeah, where I am today. Line, yes. Before that moment, you already knew how hard the interval was. Yeah. But you weren't willing to accept it was going to be that hard. Probably, yes. <laughs> and so when you got there and it was that hard... Ah, uh, this isn't what I wanted. This wasn't what I was expecting. And this is what I'm not committed to this. This okay. is bad news. This is going to go wrong. As soon as you have accepted it, you now decide whether you want to do it or not, because <laughs> it's going to be really hard and it's going to really hurt. And once you've committed to do it, well, you just do it. I experienced that massively at the when I went to the world. I had a real I think before the world, I I wasn't really, you know, I've always taken my steps really carefully and also when I've developed riders who wanted to, you know I had a young lad who wanted to come on our team one of the other guys who helped me set up the team and coached him and we'd known him for a long time we'd taken him to a lot of nationals when he was too young to drive he'd sometimes come with us if his parents couldn't take him so we'd known him a long time and getting really in kind of intense and stuff and he wanted to join the team because we we I built this team that was renowned for winning 12 and 24 hour races 
And he wanted to do, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to do that next. And he'd come from a cross country background. And so, you know, the first thing for me was just like, if you, if we have you on the team, you're not doing a 24 the first year. That's the first rule. Like you ain't doing one the first year. You might not even do a 12. So, and, and as it's panned out, he did six hour races the first year, 12 the second year, and then he, a 24 in the four, in the third year. But then the, the other thing is was before he joined, I looked at everything he was doing and how intense things were and that he was about to go to university, but, but it's all right because I'll be able to start training. And my condition for him joining with us, the team was that he went to uni, enjoyed Freshers Week, he got drunk and he at least kissed some girls. <laughs> and I'll give you a place on the team. Like, I don't want you going there. And, it, and not doing any of that and telling me you've done six hours of training a day. Like, I don't, like <laughs> that's not going to lead to a long and exciting career for you in cycling. Yeah. You know, and, and, and this guy's gone on. He's won the, he won the Transcontinental back in 2015 or something. You know, and I think, like, I had the luxury of imposing some rules on him as, he, as I was signing him and sponsoring him. But it was kind of imposing what I'd already learned myself, which was, like, if you make the goals all attainable, you can step from one to the next, to the other, to the next, to the other, to the next. And you get where you want to go and you don't have, you have very few disappointments along the way. Yeah, they're so, kind of like signposts. You, you just, you pass them. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, now I'm ready for this. Now I'm ready for this. The thing I had with 24 was I wasn't really ready for it. And it was a combo of lots of things converged in the same place where there wasn't anything between 12 and 24 hour. So you know, what I really need was a few more years doing 12 hours, but it was kind of like everyone's doing 24 and everyone I'm beating in 12 is winning 24s and the sponsors want me to do it. So I did it. But the first few 24s, I did the first one and experienced how horrible it is, which is basically, it's like, a, for me personally, everyone has a different experience, but for me, eight hours is about optimal. Everything can work for me for eight hours. It's fine. No stomach problems, nothing. Everything will work. And I can kind of, I can do a lot of things wrong and still do well for eight hours. But from eight to 12, it's kind of a bit of a stretch, but it's all possible because it ain't that far. But now you're talking about going from eight to 24 and you know you're going to be in the same state at eight where four hours is now a bit of a stretch, but you can do it by 16 hours. You know, and I, I experienced that in the first one and I didn't accept it. They go into the next one and I struggle again. And I go into the next one, I struggle again. I'm still performing, but I'm not doing what my 12-hour times would suggest. At the Worlds, I'm just like, I think it was because I had no money. <laughs> so at that time in my life, I had no money at all. And it was a massive deal to spend the money to go to Canada. Um, it was pretty, it was nearly all self-funded, not quite all of it, but most of it was self-funded. Um, and I knew I was going to need to be out there for two weeks. I needed a week out there before the race. And to get the pe people to the person who went with me to look after me, they were going to have to get something out of it. So they were going to need a week to play on bikes and stuff afterwards with me present. So, um, so it was a big deal. And I think because of that pressure, I suppose, of the income side of it, if I go to this, I've got to do well. So if I've got to do well, what is the, why am I not doing well yet? It's because I'm not accepting how horrible this is. Accepted how horrible it was, I was able to suffer way more. Mm. Because you're not 
back. You're not. You're trying to defend yourself. You're not on defense. You're on acceptance or offense. It's the same when I broke my arm. It's just like the guys like I. I could do with like putting my foot up on the. And I'm just like, just put your foot wherever you need to. Like, <laughs> we're pulling my arm straight, dude. Pull it straight. <laughs> you know, whereas before, a break before that, it's just like, get me out of here. I don't want to know. You know? So, yeah, I think it's, that, it's, accept, it's making that transition across, isn't it? To accepting what the actual thing is you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's where success lies, really, is you can reframe your success as well, can't you? There's all different ways to do it. You know, we're talking about pacing as well. Something popped up when we were talking about pacing. The curious thing that with with pro riders is that, that not many amateurs can get their heads around. And it comes back to this thing you were saying about sprinting. The pros pace their whole season. Mm. So they talk about having a spare gear. So in all the races, they get they're like, what is my key goal for the team this year? It might not be to win something. It might be to, you know, you're in a pro road team. It might be to be the last guy standing for your team leader on the three main mountains of a 21-day race, you know. But what is that? That is when I will be full gas. No other day of the year. Mm. You know, they pace the whole thing. They pace their training. They don't want to. Yes, the amateurs come in. They, they want to get as fit as they can, as quick as they can. It's a sprint. It's a sprint. It's a sprint. How can I get a quick... And it's just like a pro comes into the year and goes, you know, it might be the other way around. I've got to be ready for spring classics. So the year before they finish early, they start pacing from immediately that they start training again through the back of the year. They're not on, if they're on team duty, they're collecting bottles in the early parts of the race because they're pacing their effort. They're going to sit in the peloton for the first three months. So we talk about them racing for a hundred days they're not really, <laughs> they're sitting in the peloton for most of the time, you know, they're just getting base miles sitting in the peloton doing a hundred Watts when their threshold's 400. It's, we don't even train that low, do we? As a percentage, you're going to train at 25% of your power. It's just like, why are you maybe do this wrong? <laughs> like you're mad. So the pros really pace the season, but then like the guys, guys who are doing the Olympics, they'll pace four years. It's this understanding of like, and for me, it's the whole thing. Everything in life for me, I equate to energy. So it's all, all about energy. And so when we bring to training, my mind's always on metabolism. How are we, what is the metabolic cost? What is it we're trying to achieve and why are we trying to achieve? Power meters are great, but they're, they're not telling us what the metabolic cost of the effort is. They're only telling us what the return is. Yeah, so, and that's all to do with pacing as well. But I always think in terms of energy, it's just like, Energy kind of pretty much controls everything because your brain, for your brain to work properly, it's working on energy. Your emotions run on energy. Everything's energy. So when it comes to pacing, you're pacing out your energy over a week. Mm. What's my schedule? Or I've got three things. I've got my family. My They're all going to be demands on my energy. How do I replenish my energy? How do I replace my, replace elements? How can I save energy somewhere? You know, and it's, we learn to carry speed so that we don't produce as much power. Like the fastest riders are often the one, they're not the ones with the biggest power output for the race. They're the ones with the lowest power output in comparison to their ability that win the race, you know, especially in, you know, the disciplines that end in the sprint, like sprinters generally use as little energy as they can everywhere, except for 
<laughs> the bit when they burn you off their wheel in the last 200 meters yeah. on the Champs-Élysées yeah. <laughs> and go down in history. You know, yeah. it's energy. Everything for me is energy. And that's, that, that's I kind of equate. That idea of pacing over a year or even a multiple years is so applicable to outside sport. It really is. It, it oh, yeah. makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Because just like you said, everything drives energy. So there's definitely many pieces in this conversation that can can help fit professionals get going. But what about that person that's kind of on the bubble? You know, they haven't really committed. You know, it's really interesting listening to you talk how big part in, in as you, I haven't thought about that before. So a definite learning point for me is like your your trip to Canada and getting your your head in it first, you know, to even make the decision and the commitment to go. Is that where someone starts? Or how do you get somebody off center that, you know, we sit back and we personally benefited from this, and especially in your case, where you've coached so many people and you've seen the life improvement. How do we get people to move and get going at it? I think it's going to really depend on, you know where they are and what the what the roadblock is for them are they there's all sorts of things that could be there you know like for a lot of people it could just be as simple as they've got four things on the go already and they're not really excelling at any of them and they're struggling at all of them i'd be looking at that and going well i know lots of people who are like exceptional at something they're world class at something but none of them can do four things mm -hmm. so for me straight away i'm like well one has to go yeah. at least one you know like if you want to move this person on one's got to go because you're probably going to stay struggling forever you know like if the best of the best can't do four exceptionally and you want exceptional in your life you've got to get rid of one you know and it yeah. like well, I ain't getting rid of my family. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've only got three choices left here, you know? You know, and for you as well, like sports are real catalyst for years, a real driver, that. But for some people, you know, I think I totally accept that it might be better for them to focus, to get rid of sport, for instance, if it's one of those four, yeah? So it's really finding, so for me, when I talk about luck, you know, and we it's interesting looking through the notes before and things we were thinking we might talk about and you were saying to talk about the sacrifices yeah. when i was racing i would read like you know you read you see interviews with olympians or whatever and they talk about the sacrifice and stuff and like i honestly couldn't relate to it mm. because i was doing exactly what i wanted to do yeah you know alignment so, with what you love right and yeah then, yeah. And so, so there was no sacrifice for me because it wasn't like I'd missed out on life. I found, you know, it wasn't like I missed out on being a teenager or anything like this, which I could see that could probably, you know, some of the younger riders who start, you know, they start really young these days and they turn pro when they're like 18 or something. I could see that kind of being a thing. But I distinctly remember, you know, when I was, I was probably been riding maybe two years or something. And I remember I was I was still at university and we used to go out, we used to go clubbing like three nights a week or something. And we're racing on the weekends. I'm trying to do my coursework. I'm going, I did, you know, I, I had a chart on the wall because like we had to have a minimum of 80% attendance. And I'm just like, make sure I stay at 81 or above, you know. I'm poor at at that time in my life, I'm poor at organization. 
it's like, where are my shorts? I don't know. Like, where did I leave them? You know, and now I've got like six pairs that ain't happening. <laughs> and they're still clear. They're all six are clean. But, you know, so, but I distinctly remember going to a nightclub. I'd had a few drinks and being in the nightclub and sitting there and going, this is what's stopping me excelling at what I want to do. Um, yeah. This is one of, I've got too many things in my life. And this is not of enough value to me to not get better as a cyclist from where I am now. And like, you've had a few, like it's a funny story. Cause I, what happened was I leave the club, I walk out. I don't even tell anyone if I'm going, I'm a, I'm a bit drunk. I walk out, I walk all the way home. I get my cycle kit on. I've got these little ever ready lights, like put out, I don't know, like 0.1 watts of light or something. I get camel back on full of water and I go and do an hour's ride around the city in the dark at like two in the morning. I'm a cyclist now, transition done. So, yeah, so I think for every single person, I think it, it, the first thing they've got to do is look at their life and go, okay, A, am I doing too much? Have I got too many, am I got too many irons in too many fires? You know, and I, I have this with people all the time. They, they're like, I can't get, I can't seem to progress with my cycling. And then I look at what they do and it's just like, they go running on a, they go running club twice a week and they do yoga and they paddle board and they, and I'm like, well, straight away, like from my perspective, you can't excel. If you've got four things in your life, you're struggling. And I'm like, well, they've already got family and they've already got a job and they've got four sports and they can't progress their cycling. Well, let me make this really easy for you. Which of those sports do you want to excel at? Which one means the most to you? Which one do you enjoy the most? Mm. Get rid of all the others for a couple of months and see what happens. It might be that simple. You know, it really could be that simple. Everybody's going to be different. You know, I find with a lot of cyclists, they have set habits and they have things they've always done and they're not working for them anymore, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so... They always go on a chain gang on a Tuesday and it's too hard and it wears them out loads. And they, then they skip Wednesday's training. They skip Thursday, Friday, they go training. Saturday, they've got a club run. That's too hard. And But that's what they've always done and they want to get better. And I'm just like, we can't add any training to this yeah. because those are already too hard. You need to recover and you've got a job and you've got a family. Your kids have to go to these clubs you can't, can, can you get rid of your kids' clubs? Can you get rid of your family? Would you want to? No. Okay. How's your job? My job is great. I love my job. Well, you ain't going to get rid of that. If you want your cycling to progress and you want that progression to transfer over into your mindset and your work and how you feel about life and how you work with puzzles with your children to make parenting better, well, Let's stop going to club runs and let's stop doing the chain gang and let's train sensibly for five days a week in a manageable style, you know, and sometimes it's a step backwards from what we think is, you know, and I, the curious thing over COVID was I had a, a big influx of guys who were 50s, some 60s, who are very, very successful businessmen but they hadn't really done anything outside of business that they felt was theirs. Mm. And that's why they were approaching me for coaching. And when we've actually looked at their life and what they do, don't actually need to train a great deal to get what they're looking for. And then, so some of there's one guy I work with in particular who works in banking in Switzerland 
And, you know, he was like, he'd never really committed to his cycling because there's all this stuff on the internet and you've got to ride 20 hours a week and blah, blah, blah. And you've got to do FTP and you've got to do intervals. And, and I looked at what he's doing and I'm like, well, progression in your fitness from where you are now is doing three hours a week. We can find three hours, can't we? I can find, I can find you 10. Well, 10 loads. I mean, yeah. let's start with six. He's doing these fantastic events. He really loves. He feels really good. His, it, when he's before he had this erratic pattern where it like, oh my God, I haven't ridden my bike for a month. I better go. And then he'd get on it, get on it, get on it. And he'd do like 15 hours in a week. And now, and like his wife's like, oh, you're not doing this again oh, yeah. next week. Because it's too much, you know? Yeah. And so, and, and you know, I found this myself at p- periods in my life. Sometimes it's a step backwards or sometimes it's just realizing that you need to make your goal specific to you. And you need to live in your own. For me, I've always had this thing where it's just like, I don't really seek other people's approval a great deal. You know, and that's part of this being a skateboarder, I think. It was just like most of the other kids hated the fact that we skateboarded. (laughs) You know, we were like the kids, get in, boys, they skate. Like, you know, and so that that I'm quite happy not being people not approving of what I do. The most uncomfortable period in my life was being really good at, mountain biking and lots of people recognizing me and expecting me to win <laughs> and then them being upset if i didn't like why are you upset go and do something <laughs> like, i'm not upset i'm second was great like you know i'm pacing I, myself i think you're keying on something there that's really important is adults especially with families our businesses our professionals work for, they serve others right they they are a big part of their days to give talent and treasure, whatever they do. And you mentioned the one fellow that found something for himself and it, it's not being greedy, taking care of yourself. Oh, um, no. It took, so, yeah. yeah, it took me some time to, to get to that. And one thing about training, when, when you reach that threshold, you have your bad days. You have the days we're talking about that they're just painful and, and you still get a little bit of satisfaction that you got through the suffering and you notched off that check mark in your, what you're training on. What I find is you also have a lot of good days. And on the good days, when our legs are feeling good, that's absolutely spectacular. But the reason I I love mountain biking is what I was talking about going down the hill. You get to, you get to go down the hill after you ride up it. And it's just, you know, it brings out some people would say the little kid in you, but it lets you find that state of flow that we've read about quite often and where your body and, and everything kind of kicks in and you're really totally present. And that's so good for you, I think, uh, for your mental health and the way then you can present later. And no, I don't get that every time I train. That's for sure. <laughs> There's some really hard days, but it's more often than not that it shows up. And so that would be something I'd throw out to the listeners. If if they're looking for that or they haven't found it, and it might not be the bike, right? You can do other things. You can, yeah, there's yeah, all yeah. kinds of things you can do, but grab it. So like you have so effectively suggested for people to, to eliminate some things and then focus and, and commit to improvement and then actually follow through on it. That's where a coach comes in. I think a coach is so important to the people in business and in adults with family, they have a lot of good discipline, right? There's a lot of good discipline, yeah. but then there's those, it, you know, if it's this many thing, it's, 
It's not just your five. A lot of people have eight or 10 or 12 things yeah, that they're, yeah. they're volunteering at church. They're on their school board committee. Their kids have the club sports, like you said. Yeah, they like to ride their bike, maybe alone on a mountain bike. Or what about the Tuesday night ride you can never make? Because it just doesn't fit. And it adds, you know, a half hour commute time and blah, blah, blah. But I think to improve as an individual and be your personal best in everything you do, the, the rollover is fabulous. I think confidence is something that's a result. Like you said, profitability is a result of good processes. Placing well in a race is a good result of process. I think confidence is too. It's kind of like, don't aim for the money. You'll never make any. Don't aim for the podium. If you're not ready, you won't make it. You'll hate it, blah, blah, blah. I think it's the same with confidence. Confidence is a result of doing all this. And that definitely bleeds over, I think, in the human condition. Somebody who's got foundational confidence as a result of process in one part of their life, it just sets you up better in another process. You said something else that I want to make sure I highlight, and that is don't care whatever other people think of the output. I, I mean, I don't know about your transition in, in with athletes. I think you did say you you start to forget about the place and just enjoy the experience. Actually, careers take off when you do that too. When you start forgetting about the impact on other people's impressions of you and you love the process, results just start to happen. The interaction between people changes for the better too. If someone's uh, competition, I'm not saying get rid of competition. <laughs> I think competition is really, really healthy, but we have to figure out where to, it's like in that rolly cross country trail, where do you push? Yeah. <laughs> where do you really get on the pedals to conserve that momentum? It, it just, it, there's so many fun corollaries. I actually, I wish there weren't so much snow on my trail. <laughs> it's not groomed. Yeah. I probably yeah, wouldn't. I know that <laughs> right now, it gets me really fired up. Those are some excellent takeaways. If someone's listening to this and they go, you told that great story about the bike ride at 2 a.m. That was, uh, you know, a milestone, a pivot in things. If someone's looking for that pivot, what would be a good first step? I mean, Besides calling Rob, if he's got room for any clients or somebody like Rob, what is a great first step for somebody tomorrow think, or this afternoon? What should they do? I think that the big, big, big sort of hold back for most people is waiting for the time to be right. Uh, like we see this all the time with so many things, isn't it? And it's just like all of my progressions all start from just doing something without really having mapped the entire thing out. I know I'm in a bad place. I'm like everybody else. My life's like this, you know, and I've had things that have been good and things that have been bad with my coaching, with my career, with cycling, with my life, with my romantic life, with everything. Because that's just life. That's what happens to people. But all the times a progression starts, an upward slope starts, it doesn't come from a huge process of mapping out usually it comes the process you need the mapping out at some point but it starts from actually just going and doing something so a lot of the times where i've got I, my fitness isn't quite where it is or, or you know i've been taking care of business really really focused on it and really focused on the family those periods have often meant not as much fitness has been going on and sometimes that creep up on 
on me. I'm, I'm really good at doing two things. Three is always a, always a big juggle for me. Two, good, I can do that. I can kind of cruise through two and do well at two. Three, needs challenge. So some in my life, it's always been, you know, and I have these moments, I'd be just like, you're just waiting for perfect to happen for you to start. But perfect's at the other end of the journey. Yeah. The start is completely imperfect. The start involves phoning your wife to pick you up because you didn't take a pump with you. Like, <laughs> so for me, it's always been usually, and I can think of one in the last few years where I had put on weight and I was, I, you know, I, I wasn't, I absolutely was not dropping the balls with family and business. So I was saying to myself, everything's fine. But health wise and longevity and the really obvious, and I should, I've know this lesson on a teacher's person of crossover of success in sport and feeling good about yourself and how, how much more energy you've got when you're healthy and you've done some exercise and so on. And my body really feels exercise and re well, it's not so much it feels exercise, but it knows when it hasn't and I feel awful and it tr that trickles over into everything. I literally just went, right, I'll put some shoes on. I'll run up that hill over there. I'll run across that field there. I'll run down to the beach and I'll run back. And it'll probably take me, I don't know, maybe it's going to take me an hour, hour and a half. I'll take some food with me. I'll take some drink with me and I will go. That'll be a great idea. And now what usually happens at that point, we go, what would be the perfect time for that? Uh, and then, the, well, I could probably do it tomorrow after I do, oh yeah, but I better pick up this. Oh, and I should take this with me. I won't be able to get that from there. So I'll have to get that from there. What you have to do is you go, this needs to, something needs to happen. I need to go. So I just went downstairs. I put my trainers on. I got a feeling I was still wearing jeans. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I put any sports kit on. I think I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. I put some stuff in the camelback because I couldn't find the bladder. So I put a bottle in there and I put, What's in the cupboard? Oh, the kids have got some muffins or something. So there's no sports products or anything. I know I am probably going to get hungry because my metabolism's all over the place because I've done no training. And I go, but it's midnight. So, so my advice is always, and it's the same, that was the same when I was in that nightclub. The time is irrelevant. We get caught up in these, everything's got to be perfect, down to the minutiae where we go, don't be ridiculous. It's midnight. You can't go for a run. You can, you can go, you can go whenever you like. All right, you're going to miss some sleep and it's not perfect. And it's not what I'm going to advise my clients to do every single day because sleep's really important. But if it will start you, just go and start. Go and get it wrong. That run, <laughs> I tell you right now, that run was hideous. <laughs> I get across the field over there and I'm just like, this is too far already. And I'm like, I'm not even, I know it's a square and I'm not even along one edge of it. <laughs> yeah. And I know I've done, I've only done one hill out of like 10 or something. I'm right. literally, I'm walking the last two miles, like completely. And I've walked, walk, run load of it. I've needed an emergency stop at the bathrooms at the toilet, and the toilets down at the beach. And luckily they're open in all night <laughs> because it's that sort of chilled out place where we live. But I've gone for a run. And then the next day, I'm just like, right, I will go for a run today, but I won't make it as long. And I'll do it when I get home from work and it'll be like, right, the next day, 
okay, the next day, I probably need a day off today, but I will get everything ready today and tomorrow morning I'll go first. And then you start building organizational structure and you start building these things that you like, and you might at some point need a coach. The curious thing about coaching is everyone who does really, really, really well at something and it really means something to them at some point employs a coach in some area or many areas of their lives. And when you look at really, really successful people, people way beyond this, like I don't consider myself anywhere near this stratosphere at all. But when you look at these people and you study people who are super, super successful, they surround themselves with people who are experts in the things they, the fields yeah. they want to excel in. Yeah, the classic they, they, mastermind. They don't try and become the, they don't become the expert. They don't try to understand it. They just go, we need to come, you know, and you'll know this from business. You want the best staff who are the best for those roles in each of those things. And it's just like, well, if you're an individual and you want to make your life as super as possible, where you're probably, what are the three things? You probably want guidance in families. You probably want guidance in your sport and you probably want guidance in business. Now, where you get that from, it could be a coach, it could be books, it could be podcasts, whatever it is, you decide to get your information. The thing for me always is, I always look at it as a coach, you know, not necessarily as you can get, I've worked with coaches for my cycling, for instance, who are coaches who would normally come to me to be mentored, but they know how to coach. They're good coaches. I want them to take over that element of my coach. So I don't have to think about it. I've got plans to write for all my athletes. I've got to think about my athletes. Me writing my plan means usually I write my plan and then I think, oh, but what if I do this? And I write my plan again. Well, I could have written two athlete plans. So now my fitness is interrupting with my business. I want my fitness to enhance my business. I want it to interrupt with it. Exactly. Curiously, I want the last of this excess weight that I've gathered over the last six or seven years in total. I want the rest of it off. I'm at a point now where I'm like, I've done that bit, I've done that bit, I've done that bit. I just need this bit. And I'm back to the 2000s in terms of body weight and percentage body fat. So I've got a race next week. After that, there's a gym here that only does personal training. They don't, it's not a commercial style hundreds of members gym sessions have no more than four people and all of the coaches know everything about they pride themselves on this is personal this athlete their performance gym and mm -hmm. so that is my my february and part of my march as a bare minimum and i've handed that over you tell me what you want me to eat you tell me what you want me to i could work all that out that's what i do for a living you're, I've employed an expert, a, a coach to do that for me and tell me I want to deal with my imbalances. I want to deal with some of my muscle loss through age and I want this fat off. And I'm not looking to get down to bodybuilder like ripped. So I don't want to look. I just, I can't really care how I look. I want to feel like an athlete and I want to be at a racing weight. All the other components are there. So that's, you know, I think like if a coach is a time saving device, as much as anything else because yeah. they're invested in processing this they can emotionally detach from all the things that you're attached to leave me to i'll decide my training and i have to try and massively detach from what i like because what do i like i like cruising around in the sun for six hours at zone two i love it 
Like I can't get other athletes to do much of it, but I love it. I don't do enough speed work. Like I just don't. I don't do enough lifting. I will go out all day. Like I'll give you 30 hours. Like, cause it, so I have to detach from that and go, no, what is required right now? Where am I now? Where, you know, in the same way as I coach, I'm always looking for what, where are the major gains to be had? Because we know we can take care of all these other things that take a long, long time. But where can we see a good improvement that props that up? Where's the biggest gain to be had right now? And that's what a coach really does for you as they go. They look at it. You know, everyone who comes to me has what they think is the, is the will work for them. And, and often there's elements of truth in that. And often there's elements of what they enjoyed last time. And enjoyment equates to performance. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes the pathway of what they're trying to do worked because of something else, for instance. So, so for me, when I did time trialing, we did a certain, and I worked with a coach who was really good time trial coach that year that I wanted to, to transition from mountain biking to time trialing. He took over all the thing. We did really specific time trialing stuff. Now, and my FTP changed exponentially. And I was doing short, I was doing long time trials as well, but I was doing a lot of short time trials. But when we went back and looked at it, we just, you know, the mistake would be to go, all right, I do, if I just take what I did with John and I do it again, I get the same result. But when we, we tried that and we couldn't, we weren't even getting anywhere close. We went back and looked at it. And we looked to the time frame before, and it was the three years before doing all the work that made that possible. Yeah. And so I have that a lot with athletes. It's just like, yes, that's that did make that happen. But I can pretty much bet that it's all this lot <laughs> that propped all that into place beforehand and made that possible. Yeah. You know, and that's what a coach does for you. And I think coaches do that with all sorts, don't they? They do that with business. You know, you you're emotionally attached to your business, you're emotionally, you know, you've you've built it. You, you get someone else in with a fresh set of eyes and they look at it and they go, okay, well, you're not wrong about those bits, but it's this bit that's, that's where you gain today. Exactly. That's or that's what needs to happen if you want that to go up. You know? Yes, accelerate like, success. Accelerate yeah. success. I had a guy who came to me. I, you know, I have people who come to me and they, I, a guy who's an ex-Olympian, he went to the Olympics he retired as a pro and then he ended up with a very, very high level job in a, in a multinational sports company, really high, big, big power job. And then uh, after quite a few years off, decided he'd start riding his bike again and enjoyed it, had fun, did a bit, of, started doing a bit of racing, lost a bit of weight, started, you know, and he just went on the second journey. Um, and then he came to me because he was just like, well, I ain't that far off from when I was a pro. But I'm 45 or what, 46 or whatever he was. Um, and we had figures from them. We start working. Three years later, 48, I think, he had better figures than when he was a pro. It's not the three years I did with him. It's the three years on top of all that stuff he did for 20 years and how that mindset transferred over into business, the maturity to see a broader picture and understand which pieces of the puzzle are important and which pieces on prioritize those that are important and let those slide which we don't need and let go of certain things that he really loves and loves doing but are not serving him today knowing he can come back to them and he can do them and he'll still enjoy them and they'll still be there for him mm -hmm. reaches a new level and and 
won some amazing races and ridiculous races, much, much older, you know, so, but I've had other people, I had one guy come to me, one that wanted to race, um, didn't know what races he wanted to do, didn't know what type of cycle racing he wanted to do. Well, what should I do? <laughs> what do you, what have you been doing? Well, I haven't done, I've never done any racing. So, and he'd done a few sportives and he'd been, he'd been, he'd cycled as a kid. He'd worked in a bike shop before he left school, left school, went into a completely different trade, didn't do much exercise for like 15 years or 20 years, discovered bicycles with some friends. He'd ridden mo mountain bikes when he was youngster, discovered road bikes. They, the gang all did sportives together, wanted something a little bit more. And we literally, so we, I took him to a road race, there was a massive crash. I don't think I won it. We just went and looked. We just watched some races. Knew he would preferred road to mountain, so he wouldn't get a mountain bike. Took him to a local time trial. That looks great. Like you set off one at a time. No one's going to crash into anyone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you control your own destiny. It's you pace it, etc. Perfect. I'll do that. Okay. So I start getting these things, messages from him. What, you know, should I buy these wheels? Should I get them? What bike should I get? Dun, dun, dun. And I'm looking, so as, you know, from, if you're thinking about, if he had asked other athletes, possibly, or he'd asked his mates, or he'd asked the bike shop or wherever, oh, get this bike or get that bike or wheels are fast or you need a skin suit or whatever. And I looked at it and I was just like, well, cheaper than all the bikes. And you don't know whether the fastest bike for you is going to be a secondhand plasma free for a grand or the latest shiv for seven grand is going to a wind tunnel. And we go to a wind tunnel and we find out what shape you are and what position, and then we can get an idea on what bike you might want. And then once we know what the bike is, we can work out which wheels work with the shapes on that bike. Cause the, some wheels make a bike slower, but they make another bike faster and so on. So the first thing we did was we went to a wind tunnel. So he's a novice, he's just like training, he go to a wind tunnel. <laughs> All right, you need a shiv. But but not this year's, one from three years ago. You know, so that's the sort of thing, that's the sort of thing that only happens when you deal with a coach, isn't it? You because oh. somebody has all these, they deal with all these different athletes, all different levels, or all different businesses of all different projections or or aspirations, or different points in the market, oh. different parts of business. You know, and some things are quite and some don't. And you get somebody in and they come in and they go, you know, the people who work there have always dealt with whatever it might be. They've always dealt with bicycles or concrete or desks or whatever it is. He comes in and he goes, well, if you always do that, you're always going to have to compete there and there and there. And you're always going to struggle with this. If you do this, you've got a niche or you've got a, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of how I look at it as a coach is like some people, you know, so I say to you, if you're doing short races, you know, and that's for me. Sometimes I had a a guy who was he wanted to beat his mates in sportives. The only problem was he's like six foot four, and he's quite broad shouldered as well. So even when he's like skinnied right down, you know, he's he's like eighty two kilos or something because like something, you know, there's nothing left of him. He's still, and his mates are all like. They're five two and they weigh like sixty kilos. Yeah, uh -huh. best will in the world. Like you ain't beating them up Cherry Gorge. You know it's the same happening. I take him to a yeah. take him to a time trial. 
depressing, <laughs> depressing. Take him to a time trial. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm there. I've been through a wind tunnel. I've got a, I've got a time trial bike. I've got all the gear. I've got skin suit. I take him with me. He's nearly as fast in a row position on a road bike. On the first go. Oh, cool. Because he's the shape of him. You know, I'm just like I can't get. He's got really narrow shoulders. When he goes like this, I, mine don't move much. We look at the pair of us, we go, shoulders the same width. I go like this, all right, they get a bit narrow. He goes like, like they disappear. How's he do that? And his neck can bend right down and like this. And I'm like, I look at him from the side, I'm like, straight line. What the hell? My head's here. <laughs> you know? Excellent. So, well, we should probably wrap it up. Boy, this has been a lot of fun. And if you would, if you're interested, you can share your contact information, Rob. And also before that, if you would just, what do you think the top one to three takeaways for the listener ought to be kind of in summary of what we've gone through? The first thing is just start with something, you know, you just, just try something. It doesn't need to succeed, but you might find you really like something or you might already know you like it and you never get around to doing it. The second thing I think is really you've got to look at your life and go, how many things have I got on? And how many of these things genuinely mean something to me? Hmm. If I'm 20 years down the line and I'm still where I am today, would I be happy with that? And if you are, then you haven't got nothing to change. Have you just carry on and be, be happy with what you've got? But if you're not happy with that, then you're really looking at like, well, we've all got the same amount of time. Some people succeed and some don't. And I honestly believe some people don't succeed because they've got too much in their life. You know, what Bruce Lee's, he said something along the lines of you like, perfection is not addition, it's subtraction. Like you remove, you don't add to, to find perfection, to find the ultimate, to be the best. You subtract, it's subtraction is, leads to perfection. And I think like really for a lot of people, that's, that's so true. You know? We're just going through life doing this and this and this. And it comes back to all sorts of things. You know, there's all sorts of things robbing our time. I did a talk here for people about training and just getting some consistency. And like consistency really is, you know, if you want to build a business, you want to build good habits, you want to build fitness, it's consistency. It's not going out on Sunday and doing seven hours. It's doing half an hour, five days a week or six days a week. We'll get, you know, you do half amount, half as much training, you'll get there much quicker. It's consistency, consistency, consistency. And I want you to try, I want, or you, could you all train for three hours a week? And oh, no, I don't know. Where would I find three hours? And I'm like, okay, has everyone, anyone got a smartphone? Yeah, yeah, who's got, hands up, who's got a smartphone? Okay, open up your, open up your smartphone, open up the memory. Okay, tell, tell me how many hours on social media you spent last week. You know, so it comes... And like, everyone's like, yeah, I can train for like 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so in our household, we don't have a television. You know, and that was a conscious decision. We, it's not that like we never let our children watch anything. We have set periods where they'll watch something on the iPlayer or whatever. But we've got friends we, who can't do anything. They can't get anywhere. They, and you go in their house and there's like, there's free televisions on. You can't have a conversation with anyone because they're all like this and if they're not like that they're like this you know and here we're just like our kids don't have devices we do stuff our phones business done phones off out done if we have a dinner party for instance and the our friends come around no devices in the house like they're 
the other children do not bring devices to the house because they're just time deaf. It's, you know, and the kids come in, parents are like, oh my God, well, my kids are playing stuff with your kids. And I'm just like, I can't get them to play anything at home. And I'm like, yeah, but they got an iPad and, you know, and so it's like, it's really doing that. And it comes down to that same thing, doesn't it? It's just like subtraction. Subtraction mm-hmm. leads to you get where you want to go. Yeah. So for me, it's just like start, then have a like a life laundry, for one of a better idea. Yeah. A life laundry. What's robbing you of time? What means you can't do this stuff? And then just you've got to be. And this is a pain point, isn't it? I like scrolling on Facebook. Yeah, I like it. Like some of those funny videos. Like so, I'm just like, well, I'll let myself. I'll have a timer running. I got five minutes. I'll laugh at some of that. Like some of them are funny. Like they're funny. I can see why people sit there all night. The alarm goes off. It's off. It's off. Done. That's pa- it's initially it's painful to stop those habits. Yeah. It's a it's another pain, but it's a positive pain, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So yeah. and then it's just really it's consistency, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. consistently doing things is what leads to where where you might want to go or hope to go, or in my case these things kind of evolve into the next thing and evolve into the next thing and evolve into the next thing. So you end up somewhere. We all end up somewhere. (laughs) Well, I I can't thank you enough for being with us. It's been absolutely excellent. I really look forward to uh, my continued work with you. Uh, It's um, fantastic. I enjoy it. It's pretty cool to be essentially in a phase where I'm, kind of off season coming back and I'm still over 10% my very best before I hooked up with you. And it's just a whole different paradigm. And as you say, the consistency really pays off and it frankly rolls over into other parts of my life that become more consistent too. So thank you for your contribution to that. Really enjoyed having you here, Rob. Yeah, it's been good. I love it. I love it. Just chat forever, can't you? It's been been (laughs) great. Thank you.